Okay. Awesome. A real privacy mm-hmm. note. Like, you know now. You know. Awesome. Awesome stuff. Okay. Uh, and then when we're done, I'll send you my file and I'll send you like the the Zoom file as well that is like all three of us so you can sync us up. Perfect. Perfect. That sounds like a plan. Okay. Is everyone good to go? Yep. Uh-huh. Yeah. Hold on. I just realized I don't have anything to drink because I can't get water. Let me go grab like something. Yeah, <laughs> Let me ahead. figure out what I got. <laughs> yeah. Um, he's definitely going to ask us about tipping pitches and he's going to intro us as like the host of tipping pitches and he's going to say what is tipping pitches about and I'm just going to turn it to you because I have no idea what the fuck you said (laughs) and I'm going to say hey in our last episode we did an intro as to why we talk about labor all the time Uh, go listen to the go listen to that one go listen to that to learn about us but that's fine we can we talk about the baseball I'm gonna, I'm just gonna steal uh, uh, horses. Do it, yeah. Do description. It. <laughs> hey, it was the only way to go. Gotta get the electrolytes in. Trying to you know them. yesterday when we went to go record uh, Big Pick thirty five over thirty five part two. Sean was just randomly drinking a Gatorade. The only time I've ever seen him drinking a Gatorade is like, you just need some <laughs> electrolytes or like, or what? <laughs> I have, I haven't casually, this will be the first time I've casually drank a Gatorade in a long time. Just trying to save the bottled water. Yeah. Uh, okay. Everyone ready to go? Let's do it. Yeah. All right. Joining me today on Big Screen Sports, returning guest it is the host of Tipping Pitches. Alex Baisley and Bobby Wagner. Guys, thank you so much for returning to Big Screen Sports. Very appreciative. Thank you for oh, thank having you. Me. This is this is such a pleasure to be on here to do an actual movie. Last time we came on here to do I, uh, the fictional baseball games that we'd want to attend, and I got roasted for choosing a Sandlot game. So I'm, I'm happy to be here to talk about a real movie. I am. I'm very pleased that you're both back. Uh, Alex, tell the folks where they can find tipping pitches, what you guys have been up to lately, because we're recording this a couple weeks before this episode drops. So give me a vague what's been going on with tipping pitches. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so we uh, we talk about labor. Uh, we talk about pop culture. We talk about pretty much Every, everything besides the the balls in play uh, on a baseball field. Um, so the the things that are kind of happening around the edges of the game. And uh, and I don't know if you've heard, but it's been kind of a wacky free agency uh, off season. So um, you can find tipping pitches uh, on on iTunes. Uh, we're on Spotify. You can throw us a follow at tipping underscore pitches uh, on Twitter. We're we're in all your your places. Bobby, did I did I miss anything? No, I think you got it all. Um, you can also, you know, if you feel strongly about how much you hate your baseball team, you can also call into Tipping Pitches and become part of the show, uh, and leave a voicemail about how your owner has completely ruined your life. That's our specialty right there, talking you through about how your baseball team has screwed you over. It's seven eight five four two two. 5880. I would highly encourage anyone to call in and and participate in the conversation that you guys had recently and recently as a recording this not of episode drop but about um good old MLB owners just shit talking their top young talent in order to save a couple hundred thousand dollars in arbitration. What a sport. What a sport. What a sport. <laughs> 
Kyle, I would pose this question to you. How can you not be romantic about baseball? <laughs> someone needs to, I, someone with like a more, uh, like any talent in video whatsoever, needs to put a super clip of, of comments, like great baseball movie lines, like from this movie we're about to talk. How can you not be romantic about baseball with super cuts from like, MLB now on MLB network or something being like the Cardinals took Jack Flaherty to arbitration or trying to stiff him. Like it's just right. What a fucking dumb sport. <laughs> uh, yeah, I, we agree that it's a dumb sport. We also uh, unfortunately love it more than almost anything in the entire world. So come join us on two pitches where we talk it through in real time. It's great stuff. Uh, you guys do great work. I am a huge fan and I'm a huge fan of you guys choosing to return to this podcast to cover a movie that I am also a huge fan of. We are doing Moneyball, the movie that more listeners of this show have asked me to do than any other movie since I started this podcast. Moneyball is the 2011 drama based on the book Moneyball, The Art of Winning an Unfair Game, uh, based on the, the story of Billy Bean and the 2002 athletics that starred Brad Pitt, Jonah Hill, Phillips, Seymour Hoffman, and Chris Pratt was directed by Bennett Miller, received six Academy Award nominations and is generally regarded as one of, one of, if not the best sports movie of the 2010s, certainly the biggest commercial sports movie. Um, guys, what was your, like, what was your Moneyball experience? Were you book or movie first? I'm going to let Alex go first because he was lived experience. Yes, first. yes. Because Alex right. is the A's fan in this equation. I'm just a measly old annoying online Mets fan. So Alex, take it away. Well, actually, I don't know if I'm going to get canceled for this, but I haven't read the book. Ooh. Uh, I've never read like the book. I think I think I might enjoy enjoy the book. <laughs> I hear this Michael Lewis guy has done some good stuff. Um, <laughs> it, it this was a very cathartic um, process for me being able to, to kind of watch this movie and having having watched it um, a handful of times over the, over the last few years, just to kind of um, take the memories that live in my head from like, you know, 10 year old me watching fucking v VHS tapes of this to actually see Brad Pitt playing Billy Bean on the, uh, uh, on the big screen. Actually, really my first thought is this is the last thing that Billy Bean's ego needs is being played by Brad Pitt. <laughs> but but here we are uh no i mean this is i i love this movie so much i think it gets it gets so much right and so much wrong and it's a it's a it's a real ball of joy for sure bobby what about you i was intentionally book first i'm like one of those snobs where if i know that there's a book and a movie that i both want to consume i will like put off watching the movie until i've read the book especially with something as seminal as moneyball you know like I know that Alex and I just joked about how we, we talk every week about how owners are ruining baseball, but something that's sort of been a through line of basically all of our podcasts is Moneyball and how it's changed the way that players and owners um, have a relationship. And this, this movie, this book, more importantly, Michael Lewis's book is kind of like the, uh, I don't know, foundational text of that. And so I wanted to read it as sort of like an educational, but also like as an entertainment thing. And so I read the book and I watched the movie like the next day after I finished reading the book. And I got to say, if you're the person who reads the book first and then goes and watches the movie, 
I suggest watching the movie again at least a couple months later because right after you read the book coming right off the heels of it, it's a little bit of a tougher watch because you're hung up in so many of the details that make Michael Lewis Michael Lewis. Like he finds every little story and every little relationship in these ecosystems that he dives into. And so if you just watch the movie right after that, you're like, okay, why are we following Brad Pitt around in his car while he's driving around and making his daughter sing songs to him? You're like, no, we need to dive into to OPS more and we need to talk more about winning on the fringes and you know dollars per war and all this stuff. So if you are the person who's read the book and hasn't seen the movie yet, I would suggest taking a little beat, taking a little pause and accepting the movie for what it is because it is an outstanding film. Well, I think what, what makes the movie really good but also the reason that there are some people, especially in the baseball community, who don't like it, is it takes a very simple concept from the book. It takes just the like base concept, like the the fringe spark note shit, and, and turns it into this story and makes it this great movie. And it, like you said, Bobby, it leaves a lot out. Um, I read the book in high school. I'm actually probably due for a reread at this point. I'm a shade older than you guys. And then I saw the movie and it was like, it was just awesome to see a big budget baseball movie actually like hit and build like just have a sports movie be so in the consciousness like it, it was in the the trivia that this is the first baseball movie that's been nominated for best picture since field of dreams like there have been some good movies that came out but this was a phenomenal hit and and perhaps you know you you would have thought that maybe this would lead into a a golden decade of sports movies and, and different kind of sports stories and then the next big budget uh, big star baseball movie to come out was trouble with the curve and i was that, waiting uh, for who was going to be the first person to say that for that, say that it, title i i have like a deep like i i legitimately have a, a deep belief that trouble with the curve has like killed the big box office sports movie it like it it's not going to happen again no one's going to take anyways fuck that movie we're talking about a good movie <laughs> <laughs> um so it's something I wanted to do before we get into the movie itself and what's on screen is get rid of, at least get it out there of the, the actual MLB factual stuff that this movie gets quote unquote really wrong. Cause it is, this movie is not a documentary. It is just a movie, but there is stuff and stuff that really rubs baseball people the wrong way. Um, a couple past guests of the show have not, have not liked certain aspects. Um, for me, first and foremost, this movie does Art Howe very, very dirty. It is a, a real shame. You hate to see it. Art Howe, on all, by all accounts, is a wonderful, wonderful man. I've heard nothing but good things about Art Howe. Uh, he had a quote, though. It is very disappointing to know that you spent seven years in an organization, gave your heart and soul to it, and helped them go to the postseason your last three years there and win over 100 games your last two seasons. And this is the way evidently your boss feels about you. That, uh, Yikes. That is not what you're looking for, folks. So is the insinuation there that Billy Bean threw him under the bus? <laughs> that was going to be my question is. as well. In talking is. to Michael Lewis? <laughs> I mean, I'm all for Billy Bean slander. Like, let's just get that out of the way. Anything is on the table. Anything negative that you want to say about Billy Bean, I am open to that. You know, Alex and I have slandered Billy Bean on many occasions on tipping pitches. But uh, I don't I don't know. The book doesn't really paint art how this as poorly as the movie does. I was I was about to ask kind of if if having read the book, if you felt like it matched up, because my sense of things is the movie really overplays Art Howe, Art Howe's role in order to kind of give Billy Bean that 
uh, that leverage, right? And that kind of like, you know, he it's one man against the world, right? Everyone in his organization wants to go against him when like really that maybe was not the case. Uh, so yeah, pour one out for Art Howe. He's, you know, he's, he's, he's in my heart for sure. There's also the thing, like if the GM tells you to play someone, you're going to play them. There wouldn't be this big... No, this is completely unrealistic. Right. Art Howe and Scott Hatterberg have both said that Art Howe was firmly in Scott Hatterberg's corner. There wasn't mm-hmm. a dispute about playing Scott Hatterberg. So, um, you know, that that's a tough one. Alex, I want you to take the next one because this, this movie leaves out a few characters who are probably very important for you and your youth. It leaves out the fact that this ace team was <laughs> fucking loaded, loaded. They had probably the best top three in a rotation, at least like perceived top three aces until the Nats grabbed Patrick Corbin. I think when they, when it was, when it was Scherzer, Strasburg, Corbin, I, I can't remember mm-hmm. another top three that was comparable and Zito Hudson and Mulder. They had Miguel Tejada who won an MVP, Eric Chavez who had the sickest batting stance on MLB, the show 06 ever. It was just a stud Jermaine die. Uh, this team was loaded and this, uh, this movie doesn't uh, Chad Bradford, Scott Hatterberg and <laughs> help the Oakland athletics win the, win the uh, AL West. Yeah. Uh, uh, it, it's a shame. We don't, we, we, we like get glimpses of them in the clubhouse, you know, but you have to actively know what uh, uh, Tim Hudson looks like to be able even to even if you do actively just, know it's really hard to tell who's it's who. tough yeah they don't put a soul patch on hudson i don't think which is right yeah yeah billy bean mentions shavi once he has a few seconds of screen time but you're right that uh um, six or third baseman eric chavez absolutely that is that is hall of famer if he's actually able to stay healthy eric chavez i'm just gonna just gonna throw that one out there um yeah, Miguel Tejado is another name uh, you mentioned that like absolutely instrumental to this baseball team. And, and you know, it, it's quite possible that the reason he doesn't show up in the movie as much is because he kind of chafed with the idea of Moneyball a little bit. He was a little bit more of a, a free swinger, right? Was certainly not the, the archetype of the kind of player that Billy Bean was trying to mold the team after at that point. So, yeah, he also played defense, which Billy Bean didn't care about. <laughs> right, exactly. Which, like, again, another thing, this whole idea that, like, defense doesn't matter at all. Walks are the only <laughs> thing, you know, like, I think the movie certainly, like, dumbs things down from a statistical perspective to make it a little more palatable. It bangs um, you over the head with a few certain concepts, and that's Right, it. yes. Yeah, exactly. Although those are the concepts that old school baseball media took out of Moneyball, though. They were like, oh, they only care about walks and they only care about OPS. And it's it wasn't about finding kind of market inefficiencies, which is what Moneyball actually was, if you look at it as a holistic concept. Now, granted, like the 2002 season, all of the decisions that were like confrontational decisions that being made were these guys. And I will say, like, it may, uh, let's make fun of Scott Hatterberg a little bit because he's played by Chris Pratt in the movie and it makes it seem like he's the second coming of Babe Ruth once they <laughs> finally slot him into the lineup. Even though in real life, he played 132 games this season. But Hatterberg was third on the team in war. 3.2 war. That's a pretty good season for a first baseman who can't Quality play Quality season by Scott, Scotty H. Picking and, then, and then 
Chad Bradford was only behind those three starters that you mentioned already, Kyle, in war for on the pitching side. So as a reliever, that's that's pretty impressive. So highlighting those two, um, I think the the movie is honest in that way. Um, but <laughs> I'll chafe a little bit at David Justice, who didn't really have that great of a year that year, and also was one of the worst outfielders in the in defensive outfielders in the history of baseball in this season. I mean, this movie is legitimately, it's its like a spiritual prequel to The Big Short. It is just, it is simply, it's really the same concept. It's just finding inefficiencies to make gain. And, yeah. and that's, and that's, they put that concept in a movie and had to kind of twist, twist things around to do it. Um, the last big baseball thing I have is uh, it, they make it seem like Billy, you know, Billy Bean trades away a, an all-star starter, just an absolute stud in Carlos Pena. Carlos Pena had been optioned to AAA at the time of the trade, did not figure it out in baseball until five years later. I, I think it's intellectually honest, at least, because <laughs> Pena was like valuable to the organization because he was like a top prospect, if I'm remembering he correctly. He was, yes. And yes, so he to was. trade him away while well, after only giving him, you know, 30 games or whatever they gave him at the major league level and replace him with a converted catcher who is in the back, you know, the back nine of his career um, by any metric basically <laughs> is a pretty ballsy move for 2002. And especially for a team like the A's who relies on team control to build their team. And that that's sort of the part of the, the baseball part of this that they leave out is that all of those guys that you mentioned, all of those guys that were so important to Alex, basically every important person in Alex's life in 2002, besides his mom and dad and brother <laughs> were in this movie. And all of those guys were under team control. So the A's could keep them around because they didn't have to pay any more than basically league minimum for them. So it was a ballsy move at the time for them to, for, for them to trade away Pena, but it wasn't like they traded away, you know, fucking to share a mark to share on his first year in the bigs or anything like that. The interesting thing is that Carlos, Carlos Pena is kind of a money ball friendly player. Like he takes a lot of walks. He played right. good defense. He was a college bat. He was a col- like he was a, he was a college bat in the first round, which is what these um, sabermetric focused teams tend to tend to like stray to in the draft. It was very, you know, yeah, he, he would actually, I mean, he, he broke out with the Rays. Like he broke out with the team that does this better. Sorry, Alex. Uh, <laughs> is, is there Damn. any other, like, MLB stuff that, that we need to address. So we just don't have to bring it up a ton. The only other, actually, this is not MLB specific. So pardon me. Um, but this is something that I actually, I didn't even know um, until I uh, was reading about the movie a couple of days ago. And that's that Billy Bean wasn't a, was was not single at the time i'll say this he had been divorced but he'd already been remarried and like while that seems like a really small point to quibble over his his family life is a really huge emotional point in the film the relationship that he has with his daughter and this you know kind of strained single father relationship while he's dealing with his ex-wife who has this new kind of woo-woo boyfriend you know married to spike jones (laughs) (laughs) so i I have a lot of thoughts about spike jones but i'll save them yeah (laughs) just worth pointing out worth leaving on the table billy bean was like doing okay for himself he wasn't going on like evening benders or anything like that okay it is a little bit of a stretch to say that like the reason that he turned down Boston is because he wanted to be closer to his daughter, which is basically what the movie implies. Right. However, I will say 
Hollywood is about emotion. Getting people to come to the movie theater is about emotion. And there's not a lot of emotion in the front offices of baseball teams. So there's not like a real emotional through line to Billy Bean being like, let's get these players that the the twins don't care about, you know, like, so I'm not, I'm not mad at it. So this is from the trivia, actually. I'm pulling it from the INDB trivia section because it relates to what we're talking to. Um, the, according to the screenplay, that last song, the movie ends as a clip of Brad Pitt, uh, listening to the recording his daughter made of the song. And it's like the, you know, the emotional connection of, you know, why he stayed in Oakland, what Bobby was just saying, it was going to be against the wind by Bob Seger, which like <laughs> different vibe, just a little bit. <laughs> different vibe. And like, listen, no one appreciates Bob Seger as much as I do, but it, that song would have stuck out like a sore thumb in a movie that does it with like a very subtle, like nuanced score. And then like, Hey, let's hit him with some Seeger, roll this thing out. Like it's a karaoke bar at 2 PM. Right. With Brad Pitt, like welling up tears in his eyes as he's driving down the highway. That's Americana brother. Crying a little bit on the highway to Bob Seeger. If that's not America, I don't know what is whom among us. Uh, incredible, incredible stuff. There's one thing from the book I wish they would have they would have included, and in, in just like I, I I don't know how it fits in the movie, but just like one of the best parts of the book is them going through. At least for me personally, especially because I'm like super into the draft, is is the A's draft. Yeah, and that draft they had they had a ton of picks, like a ton of high round picks. But a scene, if they would have somehow worked in them doing the draft, it means we get a scene of Jonah Hill talking about Nick Swisher, yeah. which, yes. which is something we all deserved. Swisher was like the, I think, one of the most interesting characters of the book, too. And the fact that he doesn't appear in the movie, it's a hard sell to an audience that, does, that, that he's not going to be on the screen for. Um, because explaining who Nick Swisher is and like why he's so entertaining and why he is one of the most charismatic baseball players of our lifetimes. It's really hard to do in a short amount of time, but you're absolutely right. Um, the draft portion of it really doesn't come into the fore other than to function to facilitate how Billy Bean kind of lords over the scouts and kind of, um, you know, not to step on best scenes or anything like that, but kind of stomps out their old way of thinking. And um in the end of the movie, we sort of see the fruit of some of that draft in the Jeremy Brown scene, but um, <laughs> which I want to talk about later too. But incredible stuff. <laughs> um, yeah, I think that that is sort of like the opening catalyst of the book because it comes pretty early on, um, if I remember correctly. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it was missing a little bit from the movie. Yeah, I, I just would have because like Swisher could have come in and played himself, like in a, in a like post draft interview or something. Like you would have loved to have seen it. Um, let's get into the, the most important question of the show, guys. Is is this a Hall of Fame all-star starter or bench warmer sports movie? Alex, I'll kick it to you. I mean, I'm I'm biased. I everyone knows this. I it's gotta be a Hall of Fame sports movie. There's no world in which it's not a Hall of Fame sports there's movie. There's no world so in good. which there's no, yeah, seriously. Like, I mean, it it's like a top three, maybe baseball movie, top five, depending on who you're asking. Like I, what I love so much about this film is like, it, it's not a sports movie, right? It's not really about baseball. It's about failure and human nature and what it means to be 
on your last chance, right? Or what it means to be given a lifeline. There's so many sports movies fall into the trap um, of tying things up with a bow, right? And and this movie ends. Spoiler alert: They don't they don't win big. The Oakland A's don't win the the whole damn thing. So it's You're still a, waiting it's, on that one, my friend. <laughs> it's I mean, it's really a character study of kind of Billy Bean and a really interesting snapshot of this moment in in time, which I I really I really do love it. Well, that's the best sports movies are like that and where they are, they're about something besides sports. Um, right. Like you can you know, feel the dreams is, I mean, you boil it down. It's a, you know, it's a father son thing, but um, I mean, you can like Moneyball is a hall of famer. You can also make an argument that it's not even the best baseball movie of the last 15 years, which I, I would say it might, it's, it's very good. I would say it might, it might be sugar mm-hmm. and sugar is an immigrant story as much as it is a baseball movie. Right. Um, but it's like with, this movie, if it was a documentary, it's probably a bench warmer, but it is a movie and it's a Hall of Famer. It's it's perfectly like the cast, the score, the pacing. It is just everything. I mean, it's why when it's on FX, I, I'll sit through commercials and still watch it and wait to get this stuff because it is so like for a movie that's about like the front office of baseball and actually has very little in terms of baseball scenes. It is so fast paced. It's just such an easy watch. Like it's very long and it's still like, it just goes down really smooth. Bobby, is this a hall of fame for you? Uh, Definite hall of famer for me. And I think that I actually, you know, and I'm a baseball purist too. So like when I see baseball depicted on, in TV or in film, like I'm, I'm picky and that's the name of the game on this show, right? You're on the right show. Exactly. (laughs) Coming on here to nitpick when it doesn't look right. And this show or this film uses archival in a very effective way and it doesn't overdo it with the actual baseball scenes now we can quibble a little bit and we will quibble a little bit about some of the baseball scenes that are acted out but it's a baseball movie that doesn't actually show you that much other than what you might remember if you're alex if you're an ace fan and that's all it needs because that streak that they depict in the middle of this movie that is sort of like the crescendo of the movie the loudest part of the movie and what really drives it home for the whole theory of moneyball is exhilarating like i know we don't need to go down a whole aaron sorkin rabbit hole but him translating all of that stuff from the book onto the screen it it is just magic and they just knocked it out of the park yeah it's it's nearly perfect um i want to get into the imdb trivia in a in a so a couple weeks ago on this show i covered 42 uh and that movie, 42, could have been a lot different. A, a, a hell of a lot different because Spike Lee and Denzel were attached to it in the 90s. A Spike Lee, Jackie Robinson movie is much different than what we got. This movie could have been a lot different. Did you guys, have you guys seen who was attached to this one? I, I, I have seen who was supposed to direct this, yes. <laughs> Bobby, have you? Wait, I, I'm not recalling it right now, but I have... Bobby, you produce a podcast where this particular man is mentioned probably every other episode. Who, who is it? Steven Soderbergh. Oh, okay, okay, okay. I was like, wait a second. Um, yeah, this movie is very different if it's Steven Soderbergh. It's also probably, I would say, more like claustrophobic. Like, I feel like it, the benefit of having Steven Soderbergh here would be like, you'd get a real feel for the ragtagness of the Coliseum. And you do kind of get that a little bit in the in this version that we have in real life. But, you know, 
I, I'm sure that he would have accurately and honestly portrayed the the real differences between what Billy Bean was doing in Oakland and what he had the option to do, whether that would be in Boston or like one of the other big market teams. So he had uh, he had uh, Dimitri Martin cast as Paul De Podesta. He had Hatterberg and David Justice playing themselves. Interview segments featuring Daryl Strawberry and Lenny Dykstra, which like very interested to see how that would have been tied don't in. Don't need any more Lenny Dykstra in my life. <laughs> no, we don't. We don't. <laughs> don't need any more Daryl Strawberry, honestly, either. Uh, the cited reason for the cancellation, because uh, Sony, Sony canceled the film, entered it into limited turnaround. Cited reason for the cancellation was that upon last minute script revision by Soderbergh that added in, quote, an abundance of baseball details. <laughs> Studio executives felt the audience would feel too alienated. It was That's kind of tight. That's kind of tight. Yeah. It was also stated the studio now felt the film was too arty for its $58 million budget. Soderbergh was said to be, quote, unwilling to compromise. <laughs> Sounds right. Well, yeah, I, th- I think that we I think probably that don't quote... get high flying bird if he does this movie. So, yeah, I, I, the, I think that mentions that the, um, the Sony executive is, quote, like apoplectic too that he's unwilling to compromise. <laughs> and I'm like, good. If Steven Soderbergh felt this strongly about the 2002 Oakland A's that he wanted to make this movie like documentary style or whatever, like more power to him. That's the, that's the cut of this movie I'd like to see next. I would watch it and I think that I would like it. But way fewer people would think that it's like a generational movie, the generational movie that it is. Because what non-baseball nerds love about Moneyball is the sort of like warm sheen over it. And Soderbergh would have definitely made it colder, harder, way more factual like you're describing, like he said he wanted to. And it might have been more intellectually thought-provoking but I don't think that it would like hit you in the gut in the way that this version does multiple times throughout. It'll be, I mean, it would be like on in an episode of this podcast, it'll be like what the high flying bird episode will eventually be, which will be half as listened to as this one. Cause not as many people have seen it, but it's still a very like thought provoking progressive yeah. film in terms of, uh, in terms of what it's trying to do. Yeah. Um, it, 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 the interesting choice is the, the, uh, the Bennett Miller to direct he's directed three movies in the past 20 years but he did capote which wins philip seymour hoffman and oscar he does this and he does Foxcatcher, which was the thing that happened like it was you know it was it was i can't get over like steve carell in that movie and his kind of weird prosthetics and stuff but like it was fine and then that was it so it's, it's an interesting choice but like if you're only going to direct three movies in 20 years and one of them's Capote and one of them is Buddy Ball. Like, you're doing okay. Like, you're you're doing pretty good. I'm more of a fan of his work in Scarlett Johansson's debut music video, Falling Down, in 2008. He was crushing it on that one. Oh, I missed that. Uh, that was <laughs> a lot to unpack in that sentence. You want to wow. you want to check out his work on an espresso commercial titled George Who? Oh, is is that one of Clooney's Nespresso commercials? Like those aren't bad. Okay, I bet I bet he you're cashing checks for those though. You bet right. <laughs> <laughs> Why do you think he's um, directing Moneyball and then a coffee commercial? Um, I, a thing he did though that that I like that I think this movie benefits from uh, per the trivia during a 2014 interview on NPR. Director Bennett Miller said that almost all the scouts depicted in the movie were also played by actual scouts. Quote, most of these guys are just scouts and there's a couple of actors in there. 
you know, we were just researching it, trying to get a sense of what these meetings are like and invited a whole bunch of scouts to talk to us about how they approach things and, you know, what these kind of meetings are. And we brought, you know, 20 guys together when we were prepping the film just to have a roundtable discussion and reenact something. And we just stirred it up and watched it. And you go sitting with Brad Pitt. We just look at each other and wonder, why are we trying to cast actors? Which is something <laughs> I say on this podcast all the time. If you're not trying to get someone to win you an Oscar or carry your movie, just cast like an athlete or a coach or someone who's been there that comes through on screen. And I think in this movie and the scout scenes, it comes through like crazy. Like those are the dudes sitting in the stands with their jugs guns and their dip and their hearing aids. Yeah. And I know that we're going to talk a little bit uh, later about what, uh, what of the sports moments in the film felt real, but like when the scouts are sitting around, like shooting the shit around baseball players, that felt immensely real when they're talking about how he's a good, he's got a good face, but what do we think about his girlfriend? And how does he he wear jeans? We're not selling jeans here. Like this is textbook how scouts for, you know, 75 years have talked about baseball players. So it, it, yeah, really, it really showed. I mean, the best line in the entire movie, like not stepping on best quote, because it's not really the most memorable quote, but hands down, the best line in the entire movie is when the scouts are talking in that meeting. One of them says, who's Fabio? And another scout goes, he's a shortstop, a shortstop for Seattle. (laughs) 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 Which is incredible. Just like a throwaway line in the background that is just it, it just iconic, just incredible, incredible line. It's also like mixed really low. Like you can kind of barely hear it. If you're not paying attention, you're done, not going to catch it at all. It's yeah, that's incredible. I love that scene. So much. This movie it, in, in all of its drama has so many like sitcom level moments, you know, just like throwaway one liners or like 15 second scenes that like completely pull you out of like the mystique that you've been in. And I'm like, I just got a belly laugh out of like a passing conversation that, you know, two A's employees had in the hall, you know, that so they're really good at kind of mixing that humor with like the very real human, (laughs) like tense emotion that's running through all of this. That was the toughest part about me for doing best scenes. And as I told you guys before I recorded, I try to keep it to like three or four. But with this one, I, I like I want to talk about almost all of this because every scene, there's no there's very little fat on this movie that I would trim. Like the only thing that right off the bat, I could say we could have done without is a, is a nice sit down with our pals, Robin Wright and Spike Jones. Like that's not essential. Could not me. disagree more. So <laughs> essential. <laughs> Mike Jones being the dopey stepfather who's like, well, we gave her a cell phone and, and Brad Pitt just shutting that shit down so fast is if you care at all about like, I mean, Spike Jones and his films, it's just so funny. It's so funny. Would you watch a, a two hour movie, but it's just, uh, it's just like a camera on Brad, Billy Bean and, and Spike Jones sitting next to each other, like the daughters, yeah. like it's, middle it's, school play or something. It's Malcolm and Marie, but with Brad Pitt and Spike <laughs> Jones. Sign me up, bro. Sign me up. <laughs> oh. oh, God. Okay. So for best scene, I'm doing these chronologically, which I don't really need. I mean, I, we're going to at least, I want to at least touch on certain parts of most of this movie. Um, I love the introduction, like the, the cold, basically the cold open of the 2001 ALDS and how it is done by like how Billy Bean consumes baseball games. Like it's done in quick flashes of, <laughs> of throwback audio 
and throwback video. And it's also for me personally, and, and for like Alex, I'm sure you too. And, and there's like this special nostalgic era of baseball where, where coverage started getting pretty good, but TVs weren't yet high def and it's like still a little grainy. Like when I see 04 Red Sox highlights, I'm just like, I'm all in. I think it's the greatest thing ever. I don't know why. It's just like the golden era of baseball coverage. Like now it's, it's like too high def now. It scares me. Yeah. Seeing like old, like uh, when I'm watching old baseball games and like the old Fox, like score bug that they have that like looks, it's so bad. And I'm like, wow, this is still so much better than what they've tried to cram onto the screen these days. But the, yeah, the real problem is that like you can't watch a important baseball game anymore without seeing like and that highlight was presented to you by Doritos Locos Tacos. Go to your local Dorito, your local Taco Bell to get your free taco today. And it's like, okay, because there, there is a little, yeah, there's so much more nostalgia about like, it's just someone with the last name Buck talking over very generic graphic design that was put together before we really realized uh, we could have fun with it. A top five video on YouTube is a supercut of Joe Buck welcoming you back to a Fox sporting event and having to promo a shitty Fox show that's going to get canceled. Yeah. <laughs> it's just, it's one of my, it's one of my favorite things in the world. It's a very special video to me. Like here's check out Fox's new show, the intern. Right. <laughs> it's just all it's so bad. Um, okay. A, a scene that, that we were just talking about, the Billy's initial meeting with the scouts with all the scout lingo, like Bobby, mm -hmm. when that scene comes on, what it, it's like an automatic, if it's on cable, you, you've got to sit down, park your ass on the couch and watch that scene. Yes. Well, I haven't had cable in several years, but if I did have cable and it were on, I would check it out. Um, no, it's, it's the type of scene that you can go to YouTube and watch in its entirety. It's a film in itself because it tells you so much about what we're trying to accomplish here because it tells you, Number one, we have entrenched thinking. Number two, we have this hero of the story that we've established is Brad Pitt, who just so happens he's just the most handsome person on planet Earth. And the tension in the story is here is our hero trying to undo all of this entrenched thinking. And we understand automatically that's what the rest of the film is going to be about. And we know that he's probably going to accomplish it. And there's probably going to be some level of success, even if you don't know what happened with those who A's. And even if you don't understand the Fabio reference, or you don't understand what it means that we're not trying to sell jeans. It's like, uh, here's the old guard. Here's the new guard. Now we're going to have to strap in and see how the new guard can sort of convince the old guard that this is the way to do it. And I will say about that scene. Um, I don't know if it's this scene or if it's the, the second scouting scene where there's the older scout and he, he kind of wrangles all of the rest of the scouts. And he says to him, he's like, all right, come on guys. He's in charge referencing Billy bean. And I just, I laugh at that moment every time because I just think like baseball has such a reverence for like order, you know, where it's like, this is the guy who, you know, the owner signs the checks that this guy is my boss. So even if I disagree, I'm going to say my piece and I'm going to step aside and I'm going to let order remain. And I'm like, you know what? If you're a fan of baseball, if you played baseball, you understand that exact feeling that that scout is, is sharing. Yeah, the, the tension between the, Billy Bean, who's kind of representing um, this new way of thinking, and the scouts who are essentially the scouts and specifically... Uh, 
Grady, who is kind of the, seems to be the head scout in the room. Um, the tension between Bean uh, and him is, is really interesting because I think it really kind of captures what that moment and, and the years that kind of followed, right? This wasn't, this didn't happen overnight. It took years to kind of unfold. Um, but what that tension looked like um, and I, the scene where, where, um, uh, where Billy Bean and Grady Fuson are fighting are, and Grady's about to get fired felt like, like just a, a catalyst, right? Like a real moment that showed the, the divide between what the old guard and the new guard feels like, right? Just these two guys yelling at each other saying, you don't know as much as you think you do. And in the end, like they're both right. You know, like with the best hindsight, we find out that neither of them knew as much as they thought they did. That's such an important point because I feel like the thing that that first scouting scene conveys is that Billy Bean is an asshole. Like, even though he's the hero of this film and even though he's representing the new guard and this sort of cultural revolution that we're about to see in baseball, he's not really putting his best foot forward. Like he's being a jerk to them. He's not being a good boss and he's not letting them sort of land softly. He's just like tough shit. Shit's changing. Sorry. Get over this it. This movie and trouble with the curve have one thing in common in that they get the evaluation process from one side or another wrong. And that this movie depicts scouts in a really old fashioned, you're on your way out. You're not as needed kind of, kind of way. And trouble with the curve does the opposite in that, like it portrays the sabermetric guys as just complete nerds who don't know shit and just look at computers when really like scouting and, and numbers and stats work hand in hand. Like this stuff when at its best, like works in in unison together and we're going to, and I like, I, I hope this doesn't age badly. I think we're going to see that with the Astros who have cut their scouting staff significantly. And I think it's going to fuck them in the draft, but it's, it's yeah, they, they work together. The, the scouts are still very valuable and also the stats and, and you know, the, the new way that we are quantifying performance is very valuable too. And exactly what you said, Alex, like both these guys are, are right and wrong at the same time um, in, in certain ways. And it's, but that the scene with the scouts is so important because when you're making this movie, you solve the, it's like, how are they going to make a movie about the Oakland A's embracing statistics in this front office into like, how are they going to make a movie about this book? And it answers the question. It says, okay, we are, they're rich teens, they're poor teens, 50 feet of crap. And then us, how do you compete in an unfair game? And so that's, that's the whole, that's the plot of the movie right there. They simplify it down for you. It is, it's a very effective scene. Leads to the next scene I want to talk about. When Billy Bean flies to Cleveland to trade for a platoon it's outfielder. So good. It's so good. It's so good. Watching this in the pandemic made me feel crazy because like he's getting on planes to go to talk to Mark Shapiro about like a fifth outfielder. It's just like, wow, they're all in the same. There's like 17 people in the same room to discuss these outfielders and he's all by himself and they have 17 advisors for Mark Shapiro. Amazing. And they've got like, They've got the guy like Billy's just throwing out these trade demands. And then it's very obvious. It's not like Jonah Hill's like trying to be kind of discreet with like the, you know, whispering into the guy's ear, but it's very obvious who they're taking direction. It is just, it's a really ridiculous scene, but it's like, it's, it's really good. And it's like, it's the moment we knew we, we first found out that Jonah Hill was, was going to strive to bigger and better things in his career. He had done Cyrus right before this. I don't know if you guys had seen Cyrus. It's, him and John C. Riley 
and uh, I think Marissa Tomei. It's the the Duplass brothers directed. It's it's good. It's quality. But this is like he does this, then he does Moneyball, and now he's like Jonah Hill Entertainment Force. Yeah. Yeah. I so I have some questions about the Jonah Hill performance as it pertains to like who he's supposed to be representing and like whether or not portraying him as this sort of like really shy you know not certain about what he believes nerd who just like happened upon these opportunities and then billy bean sort of platformed him and put him in the right spot at the right time but it is very effective in when he's first introduced because then that leads in the same scene that leads to when um bean comes out and walks up to him and is just like who the fuck are you yeah whose nephew are you (laughs) why do they listen to you and that is so good. Those two going back and forth right there, I find to be uh, very frenetic, very uh, entertaining. Yeah, they the, the dynamic between the two of them throughout the movie is really great because as we've said, you have Brad Pitt playing just a total asshole like to everyone around him. And Jonah Hill, who just wants to to do right by baseball, you know, is just a smart kid who sees some things that can be like done better. He's and, just a smart kid reading that Bill James shit. <laughs> right, exactly. Like I would I would watch a sitcom of these two guys, just like a, a workplace comedy, you know, the the office, but the, the front office, Ooh. you know. <laughs> That, Don't give that idea away for free. I'm surprised no one's done that yet. Yeah. Right, yeah. I can't believe, wow, with all the, all the listeners on this podcast, I'm sure someone's going to steal that. Like, what if I told you in 2009, like, hey, by the way, Jonah Hill is going to star in a movie with Brad Pitt and star in a movie with Leonardo DiCaprio is going to go toe to toe with them and we're going to love them for it. Yeah. Pretty, pretty uh, incredible turn. I would have believed you because Superbad is the most important cultural item ever created. So. Superbad, is, Superbad is perfect. I want to cover yeah, it, it on is. this podcast and just like, Partying in high school is a sport. Um, <laughs> the next scene I've got is kind of right after that. It's right after Billy has has bought Pete, which is weird terms. Mm-hmm. Uh, when he when Pete lays out the film version of Moneyball, the whiteboard with all the math, we need to win this many games, score this many runs. It's got the score in the background. It's got the Island of Misfit Toys concept, which like it really it fully cements what we're trying to do in this movie and what the what the end goal is because it is you do need as the viewer you do need some sort of parameters or for what are we actually trying to accomplish here what is the goal for these guys how are they going to compete and it's it lays it out in very layman's terms but it's it's very effective i love i mean you can see behind me in, in this zoom i love a good whiteboard and uh, and Jonah Hill, master of of the whiteboard. Alex, what did you think about Jonah's breakdown of of what Moneyball is? It, I I really liked it because I think that it kind of captured what Moneyball was actually supposed to be about, which is there are players out there who still have something left in them that have been looked over by dozens of teams just because, you know, as he said, like he throws funny, he's, he's too old. He can't throw. And this idea that says, no, actually using science, using data, we can use you in the best possible way. Right. And like get (laughs) them. 
extract the most labor out you to, you know, like bring it back. Kyle, you've successfully (laughs) flipped the script on Alex and made him do a pro front office argument. Congratulations. (laughs) You've now joined the club with just me as the only other person who's ever. This is when he, this is when he rips off his unionize the miners t-shirt. Support Billy Bean (laughs) t-shirt. Extract value. (laughs) But like Jonah Hill is, is very right in that in being in, in saying like when, when he says what I see in Johnny Damon is an imperfect understanding of where runs come from. Like that is one of my favorite, I didn't even write this down in my, in my favorite quotes, but like, I love that line just because it really clearly delineates that like, we've been thinking about this all wrong and there's a better way. Right. Um, I do think it does such a great job of conveying the most central force of Moneyball, the most long-lasting force of Moneyball, which is that the right answer is right in front of your face and you just can't see it. It's too close to your eyes for you to really focus on it and see it. And when he boils it down and he explains winning baseball games is about runs, even though he's not getting into the whole calculus of how you actually create runs in the original theory of Bill James, like as the viewer, it doesn't matter how much you're buying and you can be all the way in or you can be part of the way in, but you know what runs mean in a baseball context. Sabermetrics people know what it means on like a super, super deep, you know, calculus level. But either way, that explanation from Jonah Hill, um, it, it's it's everything right there. That That's what Moneyball is. It's finding, and whether that's runs or whether that's stocks um, and bonds in the big short or whether it's, you know, not drafting wide receivers in the first round in the NFL, which is what Paul D. Podesta went on to try to bring to the NFL later in his life. Paul D. Podesta, the, the Peter Brand, the Jonah Hill character. Um, it doesn't matter because that that is like, that's why people gave a shit about Moneyball. And that's why like every leader of an organization thinks that Moneyball is like one of the texts that you absolutely have to read in order to understand efficiency and how to run a, an organization. Literally, when I was when I was like researching uh, about this movie and just Googling like Moneyball, half of the results are like, oh, like how accurate is Moneyball, the baseball movie, like general reviews. And the other half is like, how can you apply Moneyball to your uh, HR? How can you become a better business leader through Moneyball? Yep. And it's, it is very weird that like, it's a pretty universal concept of saying, what if we like take a step back and actually zoom out a little bit and, and look at the, the big picture of what we're doing here? I wonder if there's a wins above replacement for like HR employees. There's certainly a wins above replacement for tipping pitches, and uh, I'm I'm outwarring Alex. <laughs> well, we'll have to see that. I'm if if my boss ever comes up with a wins above replacement uh, stat, it's going to be very bad for me. So Same. we're gonna we're gonna hope that doesn't happen. Same. I've been I've been skating by like Johnny Damon. Um, the The next one I've got is the second meeting with the scouts, which is like AKA the he gets on base scene, which is yeah. like. It's just, it, again, it, it simplifies what they're doing to the viewer. It's, it's just perfect. It's like, we're not, cause I think if you would have gotten to inside baseball with this, the money, uh, the, the movie probably doesn't work as well, frankly. Like if you're getting into, it's very easy to say, we need three guys to get on base, getting, getting, if you get on base, you score. 
we need three guys to get on base as much as Jason Giambi and Johnny Damon with his like fairly low OBP, if I remember correctly, and and whoever else they're trying to replace. Like it's a very simple concept. It it, it really works. Yeah, I, I love that like they're able to simplify that arithmetic to the point of where it's almost like visualizing like an abacus where he's like, you just have to get on base and then you have to move from one base to the other base and then you have to move from to the other base and then you have to score. And it's like, well, when you put it that way, it sounds, and the way that Brad Pitt is delivering it, it's like almost like an insult, an insult to their intelligence. Like they've played and coached and scouted baseball their whole lives, but they're not getting it. And, and it turned out to be right. Yeah. When he said, yeah, he says like, why do I care if it's a single or a walk? Like, I don't care. I'm like, oh, and you're yeah. like, wait, hold on. <laughs> I don't know, actually. Right. I'm like, oh, that's it. That's I, I see why this turned the game on its head in hindsight. If this scene is a little more could it could have even been a little more faithful to the A's. If he was like, listen, we've still got great pieces. We've got guys who are going to hit, you know, hit for power. And, you know, we've got Xavi, we've got Tejado, we've got Jermaine Dye. Like we have three major producers. Let's just, if we can just find guys that can, that can get on base at a good clip and do these other things that we like, we're going to still be able to compete. Like, no, we're not going to find anyone who's going to hit 47 dingers uh, like Jason Giambi, but you know, we, we might be able to find someone to play the outfield to replace Johnny Damon, who doesn't have a fucking noodle arm like Johnny Damon did. So there's a plus. <laughs> I, I will take shots at Johnny Damon's throwing arm whenever I can get him. <laughs> um, the next scene, this, this, so this is a small one. This is another one that in a normal movie I probably wouldn't have included. But uh, again, this is a very COVID-unfriendly scene. Ron Washington and Billy Bean fly to Scott Hatterberg's house like at Christmas, apparently, to, to recruit Scott Hatterberg, who has no suitors. Mm-hmm. What a... Bobby, Billy Bean and Ron Washington show up at your house before Christmas. What's what's the what's the reaction there? Let's go. Uh, I'm I'm inviting him in. Um, I'm letting him, you know, try the plate of cookies and I'm making him a fresh pot of coffee because I always have one going. And I'm saying, where where do you want me to play next year, coach? And then you're and then you're and then you're firing, you're firing up the podcast recording equipment and saying, so I got a baseball podcast. You uh, you got an hour. Billy chat. Bean, if you're listening right now, which I know you are because you're a big fan of big screen sports, just like myself, <laughs> come on tipping pitches, bro. We've been trying to, we've been talking around having you on for years. Just come on the podcast. So if he shows up at my house, yeah, I'm inviting him on the pod. <laughs> I would rather have Ron Washington on a podcast, if we're being honest. Ron yeah. Washington has been in baseball since the 70s. He is, He's Ron Washington legend. has seen shit. He has done some shit. Can I say one more thing really quickly about the Hatterberg house scene? Yes. Super weird move for him to have framed his own framed jerseys in the background on the first floor of his multi-floor <laughs> house. Like, you got to stick that shit in the basement or you got to stick that shit in some room upstairs that nobody is living in anymore. You can't keep the memorabilia in the dining room, Scott. It's weird and it's, it's off-putting for guests. I think he thinks it's like a dick measuring contest kind of thing, but it just, it doesn't work. I also wish we would have had an Ocean's Eleven style. You know, when Clooney and Pitt are going around and like recruiting everyone, like we got a grease, man. It's like, 
Ron Washington and Billy Bean go get Chad Chad Bradford. Like we got a side armor. We got you know, and just yeah. like you know, they they go to whatever the hell David Justice is getting into and recruit him. Like that would be a great time for me. Um, the next scene I've got is the opening day scene, and really only I, I love it when Major League Baseball is depicted in movies. Uh, and if you're if you're gonna play the anthem at a game, doing it with an electric guitar is the move. I just, the hard hitting opening day questions, the press questions, like Giambi, like it's opening day. So you've been to the strip club a lot this off season. <laughs> like, David Justice like gives you know, the candid answer about, you know, I'm ready to contribute or whatever. And she's like, I asked you if you were a hundred percent. It's like that reporter was on her A game. On <laughs> she was ready to get all the answers she needed. There is, I think she, of the women in the film, she might have the most lines, and they make her just an asshole. <laughs> so, like, she's awful to the players, right? I mean, kind of through, throughout the movie, right? I mean, you see her like elbowing kind of at the door of the clubhouse later on. Uh, I mean, I guess I, I prefer that to whatever Ken Rosenthal's thrown out there these days. So. <laughs> Ken Rosenthal Ken- would be knocking at the door of the owner being like, how can you right, spend right, right, right. Are you spending <laughs> too much money here, guys? Can you spend less than the minimum on Chad Bradford? Is that a thing? <laughs> uh, the- you defer Chad Bradford's $510,000 contract a year or two? The... The, the flag unfurling scene seemed like like we were just trying to like pack a little too much like Americana in there. Like, you know, we've got, it's a 2002 A's. We've got a little like, like post 9-11 like reverence going on here. It felt a little like shoehorned in. Like we had to remind everyone that this is America's pastime. They um, added that in after they cut the Seeger song. They needed. They needed oh, there is a corrected. How are a, people gonna know? We have a quota. <laughs> That's that said. I do. It, it sets the stage really well for what is kind of about to come. You have a lot of question marks coming into the year. You see Jeremy Giambi kind of dogging it in the outfield. Chad Bradford can't find the zone. You have A's players who who don't look too great in spring training, which like. True to form. Lots the of, notion lots, that anybody would care marks. what any of these people looked like in spring training is just patently false. Nobody would give a shit. And real, real life question here quickly is the wildest thing that Billy Bean ever did replace uh, one Giambi with a different Giambi? Like that is a wild thing to do. And well, think he, that pe- the thing is, he was already on the team. Like Jeremy Giambi was already in Oakland. Hey, we had the Giambis on the same team, which is oh, I guess you bonkers. Yeah, I guess way. so. That 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 is not accurate in how the movie portrays it. Then because O one was the Jeter flip, was it not? Mm-hmm. Yeah, the one so. where he was actually yeah. safe. Yeah, yeah, that right. that one. It was the the slide, Jeremy. Um, yeah, so th- that's another thing. Yeah, the movie Jeremy Giambi was already with uh, was already with the A's. Um, okay. Yeah. The next, the next scene I've got, and and we can kind of loop this into it's to let's talk about how Billy Bean handles the trade, how he handles trades first, like because I've got him trading Giambi and Pena, and uh, you know also the the trade deadline getting Rinko, which I think the trade deadline scene itself is is a little better, a little it, it gives us like 
the most, you know, a very iconic gif, the Joe to Hill fist pump gif, which you see on Twitter quite often wearing the ace hat fresh mm-hmm. out of the box. But uh, Billy Bean, again, remember, this was 2002. You've got to be worried about those anytime minutes. Like the, those things don't last forever. But Billy Bean was not one to, to wait on the phone much. Just, Bobby, what did you think of uh, Billy's wheeling and dealing? Um, I, I found it entertaining. I wrote that down as one of my favorite scenes. Um, I have 30 scenes here that are my favorites. But uh, as far as I know, like, that's how shit gets done, man. If you, if you can't call people and seem convincing you can't be a gm and that's how the same you know 35 guys just keep getting the same 30 jobs <laughs> the the thing that seemed least realistic or i guess most realistic because jonah hill is in his ear the whole time but the idea that the gm has like working knowledge of everyone in his own organization and the organizations with whom he is trading, you know, like Billy Bean can just like rattle off names and be like, you don't even know who that guy is or, or no, no one wants him. And I'm like, in real life, Billy Bean has like a dozen guys on computers, like in front of him who are like thumbs up, thumbs down. Like you have, you've got a whiteboard going on. That was a little, little, little un- unrealistic. The Billy Bean's just like this fucking whiz who's got it all in his head, you know? They didn't have time to explain player to be named later, which is how <laughs> right, most exactly. of these deals would have been done. It would have been with a player to be named later. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and it's like, if you take it on on its face value of how he was doing in the movie, he was just on a whim being like, yeah, we're going to make this minor leaguer move cross country to play for us. Who like, we don't give a shit about. Haven't looked at his stats at all. We're just going to completely upend this guy. Right. I know this this whole movie is about using a statistical mindset to uh, approaching this thing, but, um, but sure. Marbury, why not? I don't care. (laughs) Incredible, incredible stuff. Um, So the, the, the next scenes, and these are two, they're kind of, it's kind of like same thing. The improvement montage going into the wind montage, because that that does another good job with the movie of how it how they are translating this down to the players, what they're asking players to do. Um, no more bunning, shout out, great, great line. Uh, but, you know, like take more walks and stuff. Like it's, I, I believe in, you know, I, I feel like I'm an expert in the field of sports movies. I think this is the only baseball movie ever that has a walk montage. Yeah. Like <laughs> action scenes of dudes flip, taking ball four and flipping their bats, which is, which is incredible. But it's another really good use of this movie, how they, they bring in, like they cut in like the, you know, the Scott Van Pelt audio and you know shout out Stuart scott they like cut into sports center and they they keep you updated about what's going on with with these you know and especially like the talk radio aspect of it which is really fun we're going to talk on talk on that later but um alex when when this movie starts getting into the win streak and it starts picking up some steam in that regard what does that do to you personally as an ace fan get like butterflies in my stomach a little bit i'm like i'm like oh god i know how this ends and yet i'm invested already um yeah i would i mean this is where this is where i'd love to see i don't know more archival footage like just bring in bring in the rest of the team like eric chavez was a part of this miguel tejado was a part of this like it's okay to acknowledge that i think the I don't even know that 
I guess we have an actor who portrays Miguel Tejada who really looks like nothing like him and doesn't even really get much in the way of screen time. I think it mentions that like there's a broadcaster who says Miguel Tejada strikes out to end the inning or whatever, right? And so Miguel Tejada is just kind of like another heel to to Billy Bean. But all that being said, it really gets me going every single time. I mean, this is like, this is a movie that I, I just go to YouTube when I'm, like trying to fall asleep and I can't fall asleep. And I'm like, I'll just watch any given scene from this movie and just like feel the goosebumps get raised on my arm a little bit for sure. Miguel Tejada has been shouted out in uh, two big screen sports movies very recently. He is also the player who hits the, the foul ball and fever pitch that knocks out Drew Barrymore. Great film. Shout out to the the Fever Pitch episode we had on this pod a few weeks ago. It was great. I really enjoyed it. Um, okay. The the next scene I've got, and I'll, you know, th- this one is my favorite, is uh, the A's-Royals game. Because it's got a, a moment that when I did my rewatch last night, still, like, jolts me. Again, again Alex, I've got to kick to you. The Hatterberg, <laughs> the Hatterberg homer, especially with – it's so perfectly done with how he hits it. It goes silent and it cuts to the archival footage of it landing is just, I mean, perfection. Yeah. I have, um, I used to have, I have, my family had um, a, a bottle opener um, that when you cracked your bottle, it was the Bill King calling the A's uh, winning 20 consecutive games. (laughs) (laughs) And I would, again, I'm like, what 13 years old when we when when i remember having this bottle opener and so i would just go to our drawer and just like press it a little bit just so i could like hear the sound so so you could feel something (laughs) yeah Yeah, exactly 13 year old alex so that's 2009 real dark a's times yeah (laughs) yeah real dark a's time and you know you're 13 you're every 13 year old is emo to a certain extent but yeah they they nailed that They nail that scene, even though the irony of the scene is that the the whole movie is about, you know, we're, we're moving away from batting average, we're moving away from home runs, we're moving away from RBIs. And yet the most pivotal, the pivotal scene hinges on a home run, which like, I get it. It makes sense. It, it works. And if you're just watching the movie for the first time, I think it's probably not something that you really care all too much about, but it is kind of a funny dichotomy that uh, works against like the rest of the narrative of the movie. If it's for a fictional- fictional moments to work, they need to, they need to build up like credibility for you. Like Bobby, yeah. the first time you saw that movie, did you, did you get the chills when Hatterbrick hits the homer? Had it built up enough credibility? Yes, definitely. Um, although I have, have and always been and remain anti-Chris Pratt. Uh, in the context of baseball, I'm willing to accept any walk-off homer. I'm like, damn, that's pretty cool. Um, and I will say, if this was a fictional movie, they probably would have done some shit where they load the bases and he draws a walk, and it's like, oh, look, Billy Bean strikes again. But It would have been way worse. Reality is so much better. Reality is always so much better because, I don't know, it actually happened, and that's an amazing moment. So much so that Alex still cracks his cans open (laughs) and knows the call. If I remember correctly, he hits that off Jason Grimsley, a Mitchell Report legend. Um, (laughs) The next scene I have, and this might actually be the best scene in the movie, 
Uh, the 2002 ALDS, Eddie Guardado induces a Ray Durham pop-up to Corey Kosky, sends the twins to the ALCS. Truly great moment. Everyone's happy. Aww. <laughs> if only the listeners could see Alex's face right now. And then and what happened with the twins since then, Kyle? <laughs> I, I don't know why we have to talk about that. I mean, uh, that that moment, actually, that Corey Kosky catching that pop-up cements the Twins' last postseason series win since 2002. That is wow. uh, the curse of my dad. <laughs> <laughs> Fuck, that actually might be a thing. <laughs> I'm just, I'm just thinking, I'm, I'm thinking about like the causes of like, oh my God, Billy Bean, like gave Joe Maurer bilateral leg weakness. <laughs> <laughs> Everything bad that's happened to the twins has happened because of, because of money. Oh, this is terrible. Don't fuck um, with Billy Bean. Yeah. This is terrible. Uh, the, I think the last real thing of note besides uh, Billy Bean driving away to not against the win is, is the Jeremy Brown, uh, the Jeremy Brown moment, um, mm-hmm. which, which is a good, like, there, there's the Fenway visit, but there's, you know, the Jeremy Brown moment is a good, it's a very good, like, you know, they go, let's like, let's go for the heavy metaphor of what this mm-hmm. actually meant to Billy Bean. But Bobby, I know you had mentioned the big Jeremy Brown scene earlier. Yeah. So it's not my favorite scene. I'll just say my favorite scene is that he gets on base because the repetition of that and the line delivery from Brad Pitt is really special. Um, and he does it in a way that only Brad Pitt can, where he's like, he kind of has like a little bit of a Southern accent, but you can't really pin down why it sounds like a Southern accent. So he gets on base, he gets on base. And then he points at Jonah Hill and he's like, why? He points at him. He's like, am I supposed to talk now? (laughs) (laughs) He gets on base. Um, so that's my favorite scene, the Jeremy Brown scene. Um, and maybe this is a little bit of spoiler, but you know what? We're talking about it. I'm just going to say that's my big chill moment because Having having read the book and knowing that actually what really like the strategy of Moneyball started with that draft and knowing that like it really hinged on them choosing a catcher that no one else was going to choose as high as they chose Jeremy Brown Um, and obviously getting Swisher and everything and then the Hatterberg and the events that take place in this movie. um, It's just so baseball to be like, let's go watch some tape. And like, let's just talk about this guy who's an unlikely good baseball player and he doesn't look the part and he might not sound the part to everybody else who's a baseball lifer, but look at this amazing video. And so that's the part that gives me chills. Um, Grant, I'm not an ace fan. So I, I, I imagine that the big chill moment for most people is, is Scott Hatterberg home run, but that's the part that I'm like, you know what? How can you not be romantic about baseball? And get you. Alex, what is the best scene in this movie for you? I really, I, I mentioned it earlier, I really like the scene where McGrady and Billy are, are arguing just because I think it captures that dynamic really well. However, the, the other scene that I have written down here is when Chad Bradford um, approaches Billy Bean in the clubhouse and starts thanking him for the opportunity to play <laughs> and it's it really is kind of like a throwaway scene and doesn't add anything to the narrative whatsoever but it so accurately i think reflects the kind of anxious awkward divide between players and front offices that still exists probably to a greater degree today where 
Billy Bean is this GM who says, I can't fraternize with the, with the players, right? I can't get to know them. And in this one scene where Chad Bradford is speaking from the bottom of his heart and saying, no one's ever given me a chance like this before. And Billy Bean, like very obviously would like to be anywhere else on earth right now, right? When Chad Bradford says, uh, you know, I'm just, I'm praying for you and you and your family and Billy Bean's like, yep, oh, okay. <laughs> Good. Sounds sounds good, buddy. Uh, I, that's a that's a dynamic that feels all too real today. I think, and that's why. And I just like I got a huge laugh out of that as well because the comedic timing of it is is beautiful. That's the most anti tipping pitches shit ever. To have your your favorite moment be a player come up and thank a GM for paying, giving him the opportunity to make the major league minimum. Hang on, let me remedy that really quickly because here's the one of the the real tipping pitches scenes from the movie is very early on when he goes into the owner's office and he's like, "I just need a little bit more money." I wrote that down as a sentimental favorite because it's so funny that the A's owner is like, yeah, we just won 103 games or whatever the year before, and we barely lost to the Yankees. And he's like, I need a little bit more money to make the team a little bit better. And the owner seems so preposterous to the viewer who doesn't know any better for saying like, no, we can't spend any more at all, despite the fact that our franchise is worth a billion dollars and I'm worth several billion dollars. Um, that seems preposterous, but the real baseball heads know that's exactly what would have happened, is the owner would have shut that shit down. 100%. Um, I think the best scene is, I agree with Bobby. It's the, um, it's, it's the scene with the scouts is that he gets on base scene. Um, I, I will say my favorite, like corny sports fan, like favorite scene, the scene I want to see when it's on TV is, uh, is the Hatterberg home run in that game. I think that's awesome. Um, let's take a very quick ad break uh, an hour and 13 minutes in and, uh, and get back with best quote. All right. Does anyone need like an actual break or anything? I'm good. Okay. I'm okay. Let me uh let me text my mom back. I'm sure she was asking us if we got our, our water back. <laughs> they they don't have water either. Oh yeah. Jesus. Ugh. God damn, I want to shower. Okay. <laughs> All right, so we're we're back with with best quote. And I, this movie has I I think like an obvious one. It's kind of something that is reverberated around the baseball lexicon and the baseball movie lexicon and Bobby said it earlier, the it's hard not to be romantic about baseball. It gets like every single team will use it on an, as an Instagram caption once a year with a good picture of their stadium. Like it's impossible for them not to do it. Are there any other quotes like Alex, did you have anything that really stands out as a, as a great quote of this movie? The one that I really love that like kind of makes the hair stand on my arms a little bit is the, is the scout who's talking to Billy Bean who says, we're all told at some point in time that we can no longer play the game, the children's game. We just don't know when it's going to be. Some of us are told at 18. Some of us are told at 40, but we're all told. And that just like hits me like a, like a ton of bricks, you know? And I think captures that, that really human element of, of all of this, right? Which is that at some point it's just not going to work out anymore. Um, 
And in in theory, I said it earlier, but but Moneyball, the the idea of Moneyball is that it can stretch that out to be as long as possible, hopefully, right? Um, that 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 quote only takes it takes a hit for me because you hear it again in the movie later on as like an echo around Billy Bean's head, and I'm like, okay, guys, you didn't need to hit us over the head with it. Like, like we got it. <laughs> It's it's a good like it's a very it, it covered Friday Night Lights on this podcast a um, a couple weeks ago and I think the most impactful moment of that movie there are two parts and it's where um, first where Booby Miles cries in a car to his uncle because his football career is essentially over and at the and then at the end of the movie we're spoiler alert if you haven't seen Friday Night Lights it came out 16 years ago everyone cover your ears uh, they lose the state championship game and it's all these guys realizing that they're never gonna play football again. And it's quotes like that. And that Billy B quote that really hits you. Like I hear that quote and I, it sends me right back to the visitors dugout at Lubbock Christian university eight years ago. Now, like I remember the exact place and how I felt when I played my last baseball game. And that, that is, and it's that, um, you know, and, and it certainly uses a vehicle to be like, this is the driver for Billy Bean's motivation. It's his, you know, his failure as a player and, and that desire is it's, and like you said, you know, they hit us over the head with it, but it's, it's very effective. It, it, it works. Um, Bobby, did you have an, any other quotes in this one that, that. Uh, I think that's the best quote. I do think that there are two line deliveries that I actually like more because they get a funnier <laughs> laugh out of me. And the first one is when they're um, talking to Hatterberg and they're trying to convince him to come play for the A's and play first base. And Billy's like, we want you at first base. We want you at first base. And then he's like, we want you at first base. It's not that hard. Tell him, Wash. And then Wash, like, very quickly right after that, is just like, it's incredibly hard. And it's just so deadpan. And I just crack <laughs> up every time because, like, there is no position on a baseball diamond which, if you haven't played it before, is just going to be easy. Like, you're not going to be able to adapt to that. And then the other one is uh, when uh, Bean and, and Brand, when – uh, Brad Pitt and Jonah Hill are talking back and forth. He's like, would you rather get shot in the head? Would you rather get one shot in the head or five in the chest and bleed to death? And he, Jonah Hill just goes, are those my only two options? <laughs> <laughs> Jonah Hill has another one where they're, they're trying to work out the trade and he says, and he says, please. And then he like pauses a little bit. It's like, yes, I added the please. <laughs> <laughs> It's like Billy needs $225,000 to, to trade for Ricardo Rico. And it's like, yes, I added the police. <laughs> when, <laughs> it's just incredible. When Justice asked Hatterberg, what's your biggest fear? This is yeah, baseball this is being hit in my general direction. <laughs> uh, that's real big, real big vibes for people who used to play baseball. And uh, we're not the best fielders on the, on the field. So stuff like that is what makes me, I think I messaged this to you guys. Like Chris, Chris Pratt is one of my top three. Like I'm very sad that it was revealed that he's a Republican. Uh, just hurt because like, I are, were you guys parks and rec fans? Yeah. You guys like, were a little young when rec, it was yeah. coming up, but yeah, like at this point and like this movie gives us an incredible parks and rec line because it, it leads to the line about, Chris Pratt's character, Andy, saying he lost 50 pounds by just giving up drinking beer, which is just <laughs> amazing. But like Pratt, like, I mean, there's a reason that he's had the career he's had. Like he's very, you know, he's he's good in this. Like he's quality as Scott Hadbrook. He provides a little comedic, you know, 
what you know he, he's doing good work here he's great in parks and rec you know he's i enjoyed guardians of the galaxy and then it's just like it's just been fucking downhill from there with chris pratt um yeah okay so let's get to the genesis of this podcast the sports that how how actual on-field and sports-centric stuff was handled in this movie and we've already we've already talked about the like the the straight up non-factual stuff as far as what was authentic about this one sports wise alex i kicked you what was the most authentic part about this movie that you, that you could pull well i may have i may have already tipped my hand by saying the <laughs> the way that scouts talk about baseball players, because that was the the thing that, that stuck out to me is actually being um, like on the nose, right? This is something that people have written articles about kind of in the last few years. Um, there are some really good ones out there about the language that scouts use to talk about baseball players and just how asinine it is. Yeah. Um, we didn't talk about the ugly girlfriend thing either. Yeah. Right. Yeah, exactly. He has an ugly girlfriend. So no the girlfriend means he's got no confidence. Exactly. Yeah. And like, this is, it's obviously it's overplayed a little bit, but like, I, I would not be shocked at all if that's a line that whoever was playing that scout had actually pulled from real experience, you know? Um, yeah. I th- so I think a lot of the, almost in the discussion around baseball is, is what strikes me as really accurate. The way that they talk about players, Bobby mentioned the scene where Bean goes to, to Steven shot um, to ask him for more money and shot just like shoots him down. Like, I'm like, yep, that's, that's how this stuff goes. I, I tried to, I tried to Google, this is a sidebar, but I tried to Google how much Steven shot his net worth at the time. It's just not there nowhere to be found dude does not want anyone know how much money he had or currently has which i guess is the the smart thing to do if you're a baseball owner you kind of don't want fans digging around that sort of thing yeah he could have feasibly he could have feasibly had this great A's team that won 20 games in a row and just kept jason giambi in that lineup Mm, yeah incredible and and like you have the option to do this it is gonna it is gonna cost you money you will not notice is gone and you don't do it fucking yeah. astounding and that that is probably the most authentic part of the movie honestly is him just yeah. being like, no no <laughs> not, not giving just the you a general hand. climate of things well yeah. it's the total refusal for baseball owners to ever operate their franchise at a loss despite what it means for their personal finances yeah um i will say the only thing that we haven't mentioned that is really authentic obviously the scouts obviously the owner um, there's a ton of archival footage, which is obviously authentic, but um, David Justice being the sort of like grumpy vet pissed off that he had to move to Oakland after being in New York and like, you know, begrudgingly acknowledging that this is his best opportunity to play every day or to play most days or get 500 at bats or whatever. Um feels really realistic to the live. I don't know if David justice was that kind of guy in real life, but in the movie on a baseball team, there is always like the vet who he's not a bad guy. He's not the most jovial guy in the locker room. And you just kind of got to let him chill in his own little corner. And that's what, that's the the role that justice is filling in this movie. I thought that was very authentic. Yeah. Even to take that a little, like that feeling of, 
I'm a little too good for this. Cause like David justice has, you know, like Ben, he's been the cream. He's been like the super young, talented guy. And then he's been a steady, you know, performer on world series teams and stuff like that. Like I'm, when I was a kid, I would watch David justice on the 1991 Braves versus twins, a uh, world series VHS on a nightly basis. David justice was a stud when he was, yeah, he was very good. Yeah. But it's just like this struggling. Cause it's, it's about role too. And there's still, it's kind of, that's a really good scene between, I, I can't believe I didn't list it and listing my 15 best scenes of this movie, but him, <laughs> him and Billy Bean talking to each other and Billy like having to knock him down a peg to get him to buy in and, and not like he didn't, he doesn't insult David justice by being like the Yankees are, you know, paying or paying half your salary, but it's, it's just like a wake up of like, you are not. And Billy says it like, you're not, I'm not paying you, you know, you're not making this money for the guy that you were. I need you to be the guy that you're now. I need you to buy into this. Mm-hmm. And I think that's an authentic thing that has to happen in baseball. A lot of the time is veterans need to adjust to diminish status. And some guys either do it really horribly in our clubhouse cancers. Some guys just straight up retire as instead of, you know, deciding to, to hop on and cash another paycheck and diminish status. And it's, it's a very good display. Um, I just, I love how I thought all the baseball in this movie looked, looked fairly good for Hold a, on. Hold on. Hold on. This is where I put my foot down. Okay. The least authentic part of this movie. What in the fuck is going on with young Billy Bean? (laughs) That dude looks like he's never even heard of baseball before. Okay. You have me there. He doesn't have a line. So they could have just cast a minor leaguer because he doesn't have to act. He's literally just shagging fly balls and he acts like he's never even put a glove on his hand before it's unbelievable he, he looks too dumb to the go whole to time. Stanford. even in the kitchen <laughs> when the scouts are talking and the met scouts are talking to him and trying to get him to sign this contract with his parents he doesn't say anything so i promise you you could have found a minor leaguer to do that role tim tebow could have played that role and it would have felt more realistic than that guy being <laughs> yeah. a, a first round draft pick dude is supposed to be better. like oh, oh go, go ahead go. alex <laughs> i was gonna say i Dude is supposed to be hitting frozen ropes on the field and doesn't plant his back foot. You know, like, yeah, I don't so know bad. about that one. He looked better than the minor leaguer they got, uh, the guy they got to play a minor leaguer in trouble with the curve. That would be Scott Eastwood, uh, Clint, son of Clint, who they got to play a Braves farmhand, which was not very good. But yeah, that one is a tough scene. For my least authentic, I just, I had... I mean, Brad Pitt flying to Cleveland to trade to try to trade for a platoon outfielder is just fucking incredible. Like, <laughs> it, just astounding, astounding stuff. I like yeah. how in that scene that they make Mark Shapiro look like a like the village idiot when Mark Shapiro <laughs> like went on to be a very successful baseball executive. He's currently running the Blue Jays, and they just make it out to be like this guy invites Billy Bean into his office and is ready to get shaken down for everything that he's worth until Jonah Hill's character steps in and saves him. This also might not be like least authentic, but I, I just, I need to talk this through. So Brad Pitt goes to Cleveland to trade, to try to trade for an outfielder. And he, he is very limited on his options because he is very poor. Steve Schott has given him no money. He has very little options to do this. The guy that is getting all his trades rejected, like that, that Mark Shapiro is just looking at and being like, he says, no, we're not doing it. Billy has the money to purchase this man, purchase a human straight up apparently, mm-hmm. uh, and bring him to Oakland. Where did that, like, do you get on the phone with Steve shot? Like Steve, this isn't a player. 
this is a, this is an Ivy leaguer. This right. is, you're going to love this guy who supposedly was dictating all of the moves to right. Mark Shapiro, but yeah, he was but, able to just what scoop him up for a few thousand dollars. Yeah. He would be invaluable. Like Mark right. Shapiro wouldn't give that, like he would be, he would be willing to let whatever outfielder walk out the door in order to keep this guy. So that, that was something I just had to get out there is like, Hmm. So Billy Bean could just afford to purchase this man again, weird phrasing by saying i just bought you from the, the cleveland indians <laughs> i don't know how that just one that whole set that entire sentence really i just bought you from the cleveland indians also now, 2021 does not age that conversation would you have drafted me in the first round like they're, they're more very like with hindsight no yeah <laughs> like just, uh alex what was the least authentic part of this movie for you sports wise I think probably how how quickly things went down, how quickly trans- transactions went down, especially without agents involved in any case. Like agents are kind of cut out of the entire process. Like Billy Bean just hires and fires like directly with players. Now, maybe today Billy Bean walks down to a player's you know locker and says josh donaldson you've been traded um i don't think he does that. but right yet. but something tells me that like there's a little more of like a mediator and and i think that like you know they obviously cut that sort of thing out because what are you just gonna have someone play scott boris i was just and- gonna say <laughs> the only thing this movie is missing is scott boris he is he is hinted at though that's yes. who that's who he is allegedly on the phone with when he's talking about the Damon contract. Yeah, and he says, Scott, Scott Boris, come on. <laughs> Scott, come on. We had a deal like trying to make Scott Boris the bad guy for getting Johnny Damon the last real payday he's gonna get. That's pro yeah. labor legend Scott Boris. <laughs> <laughs> so that's what sticks out to me. It's like they really streamline that process a lot where it's just like bam, we made a trade, it's done, go tell the player. When really, like, I mean, yes, I believe that Billy Bean picks up and picks up the phone and is just like, all right, let's shoot the shit about players. But, like, realistically, there's, there's physicals, there's there's all this, you know, there's negotiating over contracts, does the player, I don't know. So there's a lot to be, to be, ham- to be, it's left to the imagination there, I'll say that. Alex, if I told you I had an hour-long video that was just a supercut of Billy Bean telling players they've been traded in real life, how much would you pay for that video? <laughs> and it's like, it's not Brad Pitt playing Billy Bean. No, it's, it's actually it's, it's Billy, Billy Bean. It's Billy Bean. It is, it's Billy Bean going to tell Chris Davis that he's been traded over. Think about this, though, Alex, before you answer it. That video is invaluable to the success of our podcast. If we put I, that out yeah. on the air to the internet huge boon for us i was about to i was about to shell out for that until you said it was him telling chris davis that he was traded now i don't know that i want to see that anymore (laughs) (laughs) oh god okay let's get into what worked about this one i mean we've been going for an hour and a half obviously a lot worked about this one um is there like bobby is there anything about this movie that what makes this movie click that we have not touched on yet uh hold on give me a sec here (laughs) 
sorry, I was I had like my multiple <laughs> notes here and my dog like barking in the other rooms. Um, <laughs> I appreciate the note taking. <laughs> um, I think that something that we have not discussed about this movie that works really well for me is, um, and it's like inaccurate in a way, the fact that Billy Bean would be this close to the locker room. Like, did Billy Bean really walk in there and like throw shit and like stop? Jeremy Giambi from dancing. I do think that something that works about this movie though is that there's just enough of a major league clubhouse feel to it all. Like there's a sense of place to the entire movie where most of the time you're just in the Coliseum. You're just there and that's where the story is. You don't have to worry about anything else. And any play anytime that you deviate from that, you're kind of like the reason that you're deviating that for that from that setting is you're about to have a, a point of emotional resonance it's going to be billy bean with his daughter or it's going to be billy bean having to set aside his ego to talk to his ex-wife and her new uh husband spike jones um or you know it's going to be billy bean really going through it as he's driving away to go scout visalia while the a's are about to break the 20 game win streak record um so i think that that part felt really authentic about it to me and they kind of didn't waste too much time trying to do the whole like the club the clubhouse is a place where men get to be men and like they didn't feel the need to prove anything with that but it did still feel realistic to me um and how i would imagine that ace clubhouse to feel during that season you mentioned him busting in the clubhouse i love that this movie gives us a lot of billy bean just straight up destroying shit uh he throws a radio out of the car he throws a chair against an office wall which is insanely violent uh he destroys a stereo with a bat then throws the bat then throws the trash can yeah pretty i believe i believe he uh flips his desk at one point as well yes yes mm-hmm. <laughs> over scott hatterberg <laughs> not starting when you pinned your entire theory on scott hatterberg i mean you gotta be mad um i also just Here's what worked from a movie making um, appealing to a wider audience perspective. The fact that they just made Brad Pitt work out several times during the, the film while the A's are playing. Like, oh, doing, doing do the pull downs. Do people want to see Brad Pitt's lats? Yes. Check yes for let's put more of this in the movie. Check no for we won't make as much money at the box office. Well, so this is what I what I wrote down under what worked. The first thing I wrote is Brad Pitt, just period. Like he, I don't know that I can see anyone else playing Billy Bean in this movie, the way that it came out. Neither just, can Billy Bean. <laughs> right, exactly. <laughs> I mean, the, the, the way that um, Brad Pitt kind of portrays conveys this dry wit and dark humor and he just kind of has this edge to him all the time i think that i mean his his delivery of the entire character is so good and like you need him to kind of be this outsized character or else the movie doesn't work right you need to kind of hate him a little bit but also empathize with him and see how much his life supposedly has fallen apart even though he's probably he's probably close to a millionaire at this point um but i think brad pitt is able to convey that vast range of emotion 
so much. And it's like, damn, if I didn't love this guy enough already, like, yes, would I, would I watch Brad Pitt just working out for two hours, like straight up? Yeah, probably. But does it hurt that there's also him building a baseball team in between there? Like, no, I'll take that as well. It's, I mean, he looks like he's having a lot of fun with performance and it's just, it's astounding. And just Brad Pitt, but the cast in general, it is just astounding that like, when you think about it, like, hey, this is a sports movie with two Oscar winners in Brad Pitt and Philip Seymour Hoffman. Um, Jonah Hill, who's a two-time Oscar nominee and like a a force in in movies right now. Um, Fucking Chris Pratt, who is... He was at a Chris Pratt was at a, it was at a good place to be in that movie, right? Like Parks and Rec is just getting going. Like I'm like I'm here for the Chris Pratt. Like it's a great cast. Like and it, like can you imagine now, especially with like how movies get made now and how this goes? Like we pulled together a a base like hey Brad Pitt and Philip Seymour Hoffman. I mean R.I.P. But like someone of that stature and Jonah Hill and Chris Pratt are doing a baseball movie. Like shit like this doesn't really happen anymore. Yeah yeah like outside of a marvel movie they so, took the casting so seriously like yeah it's, and, it's and in a way right. that most sports movies don't or in a way that most sports movies only do for one character one or two characters mm-hmm. the main character and they they didn't feel they didn't see that it's a real ensemble yeah and it's it's arguably the the best like i i can't think of a sports movie with a with more heavy hitters and everyone doing like putting performance like great performances in like major league has a lot of famous people like Charlie Sheen and Wesley Snipes eventually got very famous. And Charlie Sheen was, was, was famous. Tom Berenger's had his moments, but it's, it's not the same as, as what they do in, a, in, in this movie, even like bull Durham or even, you know, um, you know, field of dreams. Like it's, it's the, the cast is in, incredible. It's, it's absolutely fantastic. Um, something about this movie that I love how it works. So a lot of sports movies do. They, pull in some sort of narration it's usually done through the announcer like major league has harry doyle kind of letting you know how the how the you know the indians are doing and stuff like that and and that's usually how these movies do it i love how this one uses a combination of the old sports center clips and fucking oakland talk radio and people calling in like pissed off that billy bean gets gets rid of carlos pena which is just an amazing set of calls but i love like I love that tone of how they let you, they keep you in tune with how the, how the ball club's doing. Cause the worst sports movies don't let you know what's going on or you, you feel like out of place. Like rookie of the year, I think is one of the worst baseball movies ever. And you have no idea what's going on really with that team. And this movie with, with how that, that format, that hybrid format of TV clips and talk radio and stuff is, is great. Like there's no actual announcer in this movie. Like they don't, they don't make that a character. It's really, really effective. Yeah, no, they get a lot of exposition out of the way solely in those kind of moments that they have spliced in throughout the film of, because you actually learn what the outside world thinks of all of this. Because for the most part, the, the movie is pretty insular, right? In like, it's Billy Bean and whatever it is six feet in front of him. Uh, and and that's whatever a, message boards his daughter is. Right. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> yeah, so that I think they, they employ it really well. What did you guys think of of Billy being the dad, of of pulling in that uh, the the whole father daughter story into the mix, Bobby? 
I actually like it. I, I think it works. I, I think this is an obvious candidate for what didn't work because I think that some people who either read the, you know, read the book or know Billy Bean's story or um, are, tend to find things like this slightly corny and turns them off about a movie um, might put this in the what didn't work category. But I think that it actually worked pretty well. The The actor playing his daughter was pretty convincing and kind of funny. Um, and so I thought that like, you know, the whole music aspect and everything made the sort of asshole nature of Bean's character that it was like a foil to that. So I don't mind it, but I, I think they could have very easily added a little bit too much and they were like just teetering on the edge of that. I think you needed to humanize Billy Bean in this regard. I, I don't think the movie works as well without some other aspect. I think it's one of the the things that it's it's like how we tend to view athletes, especially pre-social media. Like these were just athletes or they were just front office figures or just coaches or something. And and getting in tune with like the fact that these people are actually humans with other concerns besides your favorite team winning is I think it's important for how you view people and it's, it's an important, you know, it's, it's kind of like why we like baseball movies because it gives us, it gives us a background of, of athletes and we actually like see what's going on, you know, behind the scenes in some form or fashion. And I, I think it was a really, a really good plot device. And I'm just, I'm here for any sort of good dad content, like Billy Bean, good dad, thumbs up. We like that. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's what actually was was really interesting to me about the the Scott Hatterberg scene at his house because you kind of get this window into what it's like once your career might be over, right? And it's kind of, you know, Scott Hatterberg looking kind of forlorn watching a Christmas special while his, you know, wife pours over bills in the background. And you have the scene where his daughter kind of comes out as they're having a conversation. And those moments like that, I think, worked really well at, like you said, Kyle, actually humanizing what's going on here, right? And recognizing that, yeah, they, they play a sport, but also, like, they have real things at stake here. It's more than just what is going on uh, between the lines on the field. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I also want to shout out that the score in this movie is really it's good. It's so good. It's very, it's very, very subtle. Good. It's yeah. really, yeah. I They didn't it would have been a, a serious misstep to go with an upbeat sports movie, you know, rah, rah score. And instead it's very, it's interesting. It's very similar to Friday night lights, which like I, I have them both on the mind. Cause I've watched them recently. I've covered them both recently, but I, I even thought that that kind of like that, like almost like lonely guitar theme that this movie has. I almost thought that like, is that the same thing from Friday Night Lights? And it's actually implemented from a song by a, a band, like a, an Austin, Texas band, or like a San Marcos, Texas band. And the same Explosions in the Sky, it, who did the, a lot of the music in Friday Night Lights, is from that same area. So I'm, I'm wondering if it's something about the influence. I'm not really as, you know, too dialed into music or something. But I thought that was very interesting because the, the soundtracks are, are similar. Um, for what didn't work, I have a question I want to throw out. The pitch black baseball games. How do we feel about that? How do we feel about playing baseball in dangerous lighting? Alex, you've, I mean, you've been to the Coliseum. What is, uh, is, is the lighting that bad? It's not that bad. I promise. It does, it does feel like it's a little kind of dialed up 
for the moment, right? Like the dugout itself is kind of dark and moody when and uh, when Art Howell calls on Scott Hatterberg, you know, and says, hey, grab a bat, you're up. And like Chris Pratt's face is kind of in the shadows a little bit. Um, no, it really is. It really is not that bad. I would have loved to see more love for like day games at the Coliseum, which like maybe doesn't necessarily carry the emotional weight, the drama behind it. There's something about the pitch black sky, but there's also nothing like a day game at the Coliseum. Just, just throwing that out there. And I'm going to, I'm going to leave it at that. I like the pitch black guys. I like it because it is like, it functions more as like, this is how you would remember the moment if you were in it, where all you can really visualize is the lights and the um, like very visceral moments of the memory. And I thought it worked. It's a movie. Okay. But here we get a pitch black walk montage. Amazing. <laughs> the reason that the pictures were so good is because it was so dark. They had a, they had a visual advantage. Um, here's what didn't work for me. The scene where they're just showing the computer and Jonah Hill is doing voiceover, like kind of explaining what each stat is and doing like the here's sabermetrics in 30 seconds thing. Uh, it, didn't, it didn't quite work for me. And this is where I'll, where I'll play my baseball snob card. They just didn't need it. Like they explained it so well in the whiteboard scene and they explained it when Jonah convinces Brad Pitt's character. Like, this is what we need to do. This is the way to outsmart the rest of our opponents. And they just didn't really need something that I was taught in journalism, in multimedia journalism. Just don't put screens on camera because it's, it's not visually appealing. And it bothered me in this movie. You know, it would be kind of sick if Daniel Day-Lewis took the Jonah Hill role and just got fully into character and, like, immersed himself into sabermetrics and Bill James and everything and, like, would have just gone full inside baseball. Yeah, (laughs) (laughs) That would be it. I would watch that movie directed by Steven Soderbergh. Yes, exactly. There are two big things for me that don't work. They're both brief. They're both nitpicky. Um, One of the first people we see in this movie is our former president's lawyer, Rudy Giuliani. We, we get a we get a Giuliani shot. So uh, it's, it's it's age. I mean, even from 20, 2011, it's aged so bad. Uh, the other thing, Brad Pitt is a very uncomfortable dipper. The, yeah, the consummate the consummate movie dipper. The the expert in the field is Tom Hanks in A League of Their Own, who has the the perfect like he has a chew in his mouth for most of that movie when he's on the field. And it's like the classic, like he doesn't even know it's in, it might've been there for a week. And that's what, what the guys who have been doing that forever, like they're, you know, they've got the dip in their lip by habit. It's not something that like they're, they're even giving any thought to Brad Pitt is intensely sucking on that dip and spitting very hard into that cup. He wants you to know he's got that dip. in. that's really the only thing in this movie. I, I watch it. And I'm like, and my, that was Brad's first dip. My my girlfriend actively turned away during those scenes just because she didn't <laughs> want to witness Brad Pitt dipping. Soiling his perfect teeth. Yeah, exactly. Alex, did you have anything else that didn't work? The only thing that like bothered me a little bit, and like again, I get that they gloss over some of this stuff, but like Brad Pitt kind of goes from being introduced to all of these concepts by Jonah Hill, right? He's kind of a newbie in this sphere. He knows nothing about Sabermetric or Bill James to like 
kind of leading the charge, right? And actually having to be the one to give Jonah Hill pep talks and say, do you believe in this or not, right? You know, like we got to go to this to the to the very end, right? Like no one's going to remember if you, if you lose the last game of the season. And I mean, I, again, it, I understand why as a device you kind of needed Bean to be like the the one kind of iconoclast who pushes this whole thing forward. Are you saying Billy Bean might have stolen some people's thunder regarding the sabermetrics (laughs) movement? He may get some uh, undue credit, (laughs) just possibly. Yeah, I think it, I mean, I wonder if, you know, if Paul de Podesta's character stays in this film, which he originally was supposed to be, if maybe he's a larger part of that story because he is actually a really big figure, right, in those um, early Moneyball years. And I, I think them putting Peter Brandon allows them him them to kind of diminish the, the role there a little bit. And he ends up kind of playing the sidekick to, to Billy Bean, which I get, but... But, you know, I was kind of like, how did, where did Billy Bean learn all this stuff? It's been like three weeks. <laughs> Sabermetrics for dummies. Yes, exactly. Um, the Kevin Costner, Freddie Prince Jr. Awards for Best in uh, Because there's not really a whole lot of the actors doing stuff. Uh, Stephen Bishop, the guy who plays Justice, who's taking those hacks, uh, one played minor league baseball looks great is also randomly a just a big screen sports all-star right now he is in friday night lights and he is in the rundown which i am covering soon it might have come out before this episode it might have come out after i'm not really sure but he's in it uh yeah g- great performance by him and pratt looks a little rough at first base yeah doesn't, doesn't yep. look like i mean i know hatterberg's supposed to be adjusting but that's I, I don't know if uh, like I, I don't know if I had a slow pitch softball team if I'm putting Chris Pratt at, at first base. I, I'm not sure he's there for that. No, dude had sweat running down his face, and I'm like, you're the first baseman. Are you good? <laughs> Take a breath. Yes. Yeah. Stephen Bishop is clearly the best baseball player in the movie. Yeah, it's not even close. the uh, The worst baseball player in the movie is the guy who played Young Billy Reed Thompson. Um, so he gets the Prince Jr. Award. He <laughs> Here's my IMDb fun fact about Reed Thompson. Uh, he was in Not Another Celebrity Movie in 2013 parodying Brad Pitt. So a little bit of a callback oh there. Oh, my God. Ooh. I didn't realize they were still making those kind of movies. Yeah. Tough scene. Me either. Haven't seen okay, it. Okay, so Won't this be next category is tough. <laughs> this next category is tough. The Lenny, the Lenny Harris Pinch Hitter Award for Best Supporting Character. I've got five nominees. Jonah Hill is Peter Brand. Brent Jennings is Ron Washington. He doesn't get a lot to work with, but when he does, he, he nails it. Bobby talked about him earlier. Uh, Stephen Bishop is David Justice. Chris Pratt is Scott Hatterberg. And Philip Seymour Hoffman as Art, not realistic how. I did not include Spike Jones, his, the uncredited role as, uh, as Robin Wright's husband. The, what I'm a seething. weird fucking, that, what a weird couple. Bobby, go off about Spike Jones and what it, what are what is life at the Spike Jones Robin Wright house like on like a Saturday night? What oh, it's parties? fucking weird. Um, a lot of quinoa in that house. Um, a lot of kombucha. Uh, now I'm just naming things that I like. Um, no, <laughs> a lot of kale. <laughs> no, I am not gonna. But there's pick also Spike. like a DMT room. Yeah. Well, <laughs> I'm not gonna pick Spike Jones because I can't carry the bit that long. 
I am going to choose Brent Jennings as Ron Washington because I don't actually love the Jonah Hill performance. I don't love the Peter Brent character. Ooh. I don't think it has anything to do really with Jonah Hill. I just think that he seems a little bit too cowardly, um, you know, like shy because it's one thing to like not understand the vibe of baseball and not fit in and feel a little bit like a fish out of water. It's another thing entirely for him to like, not, you know, know what type of person he is when he like gets in the room and, and he's like a, like a wilting flower. I, I just don't, I didn't love that performance. So I don't think that I would give it to him. I think that I would give it to the guy playing Ron Washington. I think Jonah now would probably play that role a little bit differently. Like there'd be a little more confidence in it. Like, even yeah. if like, if you look at his, his two, the two roles he's been nominated for like this and, and Wolf of wall street, the guy in Wolf of wall street is obviously like a fucking dumbass, but it, it's a much more, there's much more confidence and bravado behind that. And I, I, I think, um, yeah, I, I think, a, I think an older Jonah Hill would probably play that a little differently. Alex, who is your best supporting character? I'm gonna just take a hard left turn uh, and uh, and say it was Ken Medlock who played Grady Fuson. Oh, okay. In part, just because I really liked not necessarily the performance. It was it was fine. It was good. It did what it needed to do. But I thought that again that the character itself provided a really interesting kind of buttress to a lot of Billy Bean's ideas and channeled like a lot of the anti-sabermetric sentiment that still exists today in like the annals of the New York Post opinion section, you know, like, like these are still Dang, I didn't lines. think that Bill Mushnick was going to come up, but I guess when you <laughs> I know, <get> right? <laughs> one hour and 53 minutes, anything can happen. I, there are still guys you see today who are like, you know, the scout, the scouts have the intuition that it takes. Um, and, you know, baseball's not a science, it's an art. And I mean, all generally true. speaking, it's, a, I, I'll, I agree with all, with all of that, but I thought that, I mean, it, you can obviously make this movie without that sort of character because Billy Bean has a foil at every turn, but I thought those confrontations felt like the most important like where I kind of felt like you could see the ground kind of breaking into right and saying this is this is how it was versus this is how it's going to be and I really I really appreciated that when you said that you were picking the guy who played Grady I I had a a thought in my head I was like he's gonna he's gonna say it's because he's always wanted to say fuck you Billy (laughs) (laughs) um (laughs) <laughs> I think I'm going to give it to Philip Seymour Hoffman for me. Like mm. it's a, a hall of famer playing a very supporting role. Yeah. He's just, he's so good. He does the master right after this. And then he passes Bill Hoffman every- born to wear baseball pants. <laughs> <laughs> he incredible like manager bod. Yeah. Yeah. Phil Hoffman nailed that aspect yeah. of it. Um, the big chill is usually my favorite category in a podcast, but I think we've like kind of stepped all over that. Like Bobby, <laughs> you've said what your big chill moment, like mine's the Hatterberg home run. Alex is yours. The Hatterberg home run. I actually, like, this is maybe like, because I'm an A's fan. It's like, not like none of the, like my big chill moment is, um, 
is Jonah Hill walking into the Coliseum for the first time with that song, the mighty Rio Grande playing in the background like that. You know, you mentioned the score, like I think about that song, like I associate it with baseball now, right? Like I think about it when I walk through the Coliseum and just kind of like, you checking out it, the Coliseum much these days? As, in the middle then, no mask, just chilling. Yes. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Sitting right there on the third baseline. You 20% capacity. Here we come. You and Matt Chapman. Um, <laughs> no, I think that like it situates Jonah Hill and the characters in this movie in kind of a larger infrastructure. Right. And it makes him as a character seem really small in these large kind of looming concrete walls of the Coliseum like it's grimy but it feels like like you know any baseball fan who walks through their ballpark is like yes this is this is home this is what this is what something good feels like so that's why that's why I gravitated towards that I like that I like that uh for me it's I I like I guess I'm the, the like the cheesiest person like it's the Hatterberg homer it's fucking oh awesome. you're right that's like, the I right answer right, right. yeah yes time. yeah <laughs> Um, and, and Corey and Corey Kosky catching that pop-up. Like the best part is like when that happens, the score is like dead and it's like, it's clearly a down part in the movie. And I'm just on my couch, like arms raised, like, oh, we did, we did it. We saved baseball in Minnesota. Um, but, uh, yeah. So how would you guys improve this one? I've got one note. It's justice for Art Howe. I would, we, you could write it and make him much less of a dick. I don't I think, have much else as to what I do. I think everything we covered in the beginning, like just, I think if they took, you know, two minutes to set a more, uh, more realistic foundation, even if it's in one of the scout scenes that, Hey, we have a pretty good team and we have all these guys who are legit all-stars who big market teams are going to snap snatch up in a few years. So let's, let's go in on this now. And this is the reason why um, I think that would have been more, you know, honest to what actually happened, but I don't think it really would have made a difference to anybody except the people who already know. And I kind of like, Hey man, we can compete. Miguel Tejada showed up with 25 extra pounds of muscle this off season. Like he's looking, (laughs) he's looking great. I think he's going to have a big year. Greatest shape of his life. Miguel Tejada. Um, I do, I do think it's kind of funny that they just left all that stuff out and they just said to hell with baseball fans go, go to hell. Um, (laughs) you guys can nitpick all you want for the rest of eternity. We're making a fucking Academy award nominated movie here. We don't care about, you know, Eric Chavez. In in that sense though, it's a perfect baseball movie. It's a perfect (laughs) baseball movie though. It's just fuck you baseball fans. Like we're doing what we want. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) In the spirit of things, uh, Alex, how would you improve this one? I don't, I mean, yeah, again, I don't, we don't need to retread the ground that we've already gone over i feel like it gets a little kind of like ham-handed uh ham-fisted at the end um where it kind of you know it tries to package this metaphor in you have the you know this this like overly artsy shot of billy bean driving down the highway and you're zooming in on his um his his welled up eyes i was just kind of like guys like we get like we get it he cares we under we Old understand the, the never yes exactly <laughs> they should have done that why not <laughs> no but uh, all things considered i the the film it, it like gets it right like it hits all the marks of what of what um of what a good sports movie should should do i think again you know any more actual baseball in this 
and it probably doesn't get the accolades that um, it's so deservedly received. Yeah, it's great. Um, I'm going to put a bow on Before More Restore, prequel, sequel, remake. I would just want to say, I would love to see an actual like documentary of this period in, in, in baseball, like the Moneyball A's. I would be yeah. all for that. Yeah, I think someone could do that yeah. really, really well. Um, and it would be like for the real baseball heads um, out there like us. But can I just say, I'd like to see a sequel. We'll bring back our man Arliss Howard as John Henry. And we'll do a little Billy Bean john henry back and forth about how they're trying to snatch up other franchises on the cheap and take Moneyball to european soccer that'll be <laughs> thrilling i bet you could like talk brad pitt into that uh mm, i don't know tough tough sell uh you were just in a really fun quentin tarantino movie where you got to be ripped uh tan and wearing open hawaiian shirts but now you have to go to liverpool to buy a championship league team what the hell else is he doing these days you know Wait, like, like <laughs> adam mckay directing though like yes. that has legs mm-hmm. it does it really does <laughs> if he's gonna satire them um i i would like to be involved in that project myself as well well i'm sure they're two hours in i'm sure they're still listening um guys we have done something incredible in in, in big stream sports we have this is the longest episode on record this has surpassed Last year's episode uh, on Swingers, although I will say the Swingers episode was longer than the film Swingers, so it still holds a special place. Guys, this was an absolute pleasure. Um, I enjoyed pulling back the curtain a little bit to the listeners. Uh, still, still in Texas freeze right now. I appreciate you guys being willing to look at me on a Zoom since I haven't showered in four days because I haven't had water. This has been great. Uh, tell the folks again where they can find tipping pitches and what you guys are up to there. Yes, uh, you can find Tipping Pitches. You can find us on Twitter at Tipping underscore Pitches. You can find our podcast anywhere you get your podcast, basically. If you listen somewhere where you can't find Tipping Pitches, I'd like you to email us at tippingpitchespod at gmail.com and let me know, because I've gone to the ends of the earth to get it on every podcasting platform, as I'm sure Kyle has for this lovely podcast, Big Screen Sports. Um, we put a new podcast out every Monday, and we we talk about some of this fun stuff the pop culture of baseball the labor of baseball um and as well as making jokes about alex rodriguez so you get a little bit of everything at tipping pitches alex rodriguez his favorite podcast is tipping pitches guys this was a pleasure uh, if you enjoyed this episode of big screen sports subscribe rate review if, if you're still listening two hours in you're one of those people who are already subscribed episodes drop also every monday also if you're a baseball fan go check out from phenom to the farm presented by baseball america that comes at you every other tuesday and we'll catch you in a week. Thanks for listening. All right. Woo. Oh, yeah. All right, guys.